Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man who has nothing in common with people who wear a collared shirt at home. It's Dale. <laughs> What's going on, man? Man, you don't wear a collared shirt at home? Uh, I ain't got much in common with collared shirts, period. If you uh, ain't getting married or going in the ground, <laughs> I probably ain't got one on. There you go, bud. <laughs> What's going on today, man? Oh, nothing much. Just uh, ready to get this going. It's been yeah. a while. Ready to record an episode. Yeah, get a good one. This is going to be a good one today. Absolutely. You got any kind of shout-outs for us or any kind of housekeeping going on? I got just a little bit. I got one for old Joshua Hendricks over in Cherville. Cherville. Yeah, Cherville, North Carolina. He hit me up and said how much he enjoyed the show and gave us a few ideas about some topics to maybe to cover, and I told him I'd give him a shout-out. I appreciate that. Absolutely. All right, I also want to give a shout-out today to uh, Jonathan Bird, who is a North Carolina singer-songwriter. And uh, we ran across him doing research for the show today. He wrote a song called Velma. And this song is its a really cool song. It's been recorded by Jack Lawrence. It's been performed by Sam Bush, by my buddy uh, Larry Keel while they were on tour. And uh, he's actually the uh, step-grandson of Velma Barfield, who is our uh, topic today. And also, Dale, he is the grandson of Jennings Barfield, who is the late husband of Velma and also happens to be one of her victims and uh i'd like to thank him very much because we're gonna we're gonna actually uh include this a live performance of jonathan doing this song at the end of our show so uh please uh stick around after the closing comments and uh check that out and uh check him out too he's got a lot of good music you can catch him on spotify everywhere else even hit him up on uh, jonathanbird.com and this is with his permission to him you actually got to talk to him and yeah i did I actually hit him up and asked him you know if it would be cool that we would really well would love to include this in our show today and he was uh pretty happy to do it and then uh really wanted to help any way he could so man i really appreciate it good to talk to you and uh hope to catch you live here soon all right sounds good dale and dale we want to remind everybody too that you know whatever platform you list our podcast on if they allow a review click that five star button and give us a rating it i mean it does help it really really does yeah even if it's a facebook review they don't have a rating but you can put a review absolutely a recommendation actually absolutely and check out our website check out our store page we've got t-shirts merch all kind of stuff on there (laughs) so just check it out merch and stuff yeah stuff that you can purchase there you go and spend some money all right dale we're going to get into this week's episode and there are, are a lot of firsts with this episode. That's right. And it's a North Carolina case, and we've, we've covered a lot of North Carolina cases here yeah. recently. But this one is pretty interesting. This is actually our first female serial killer episode. It's a first for us. That's a first first. Yeah, first. But <laughs> this being a first, this is the story of Margie Velma Bullard who later became Margie Velma Barfield after marriage. And Dale, the reason this is a lot of first in this case, she was actually the first woman in the United States to be executed after the 1976 resumption of capital punishment. And the first since 1962. And she was also the first woman to be executed by lethal injection. That's probably not a list you want to be on for first, but <laughs> no. But I mean, this is North Carolina we're talking about, yeah. so this is. I think it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, for our for our little state, making history. All right, maybe not a good way, but <laughs> yeah, well, she made history anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, 
Velma Barfield. She was actually Margie Velma Barfield, but she preferred to be called Velma. And she was born in rural South Carolina, and but grew up around Fayetteville, North Carolina. I think that was Robinson County. And Dale, her childhood was rough. Yeah, not just not very good. We're talking rough. I mean, she was reportedly abused by her father, and she resented her mother for not being able to stand up for her or anything like that. Right. And they lived on a, her father's small farm, and they had their home. I don't even know if you'd call it a home. It was just a house. They had no electricity, no running water, and no kind of outhouse at all. I mean, they had to take trips to the woods or relieve themselves in a, a chamber pot or something, some kind of... Now, was this in South Carolina, or was this after they moved? To this was in Wade, North Carolina. Okay, so after they moved. That was on her, her father's small farm. From the time she was an infant up to high school years, she even slept in the same bedroom with her parents. And her father physically abused her, and he was reportedly hot-tempered, went on drinking binges, and pretty much feared him throughout her childhood. Well, I'm sure, but you know, also there was uh, nine kids in the family, so I'm sure there was more than just yes. her in the bedroom. It was probably stacked up in there. Yes, yeah, she was the second of nine children. Mm. So, 11-member family in a small house. With yeah. With no water, no electricity, no bathroom. That was rough, man. By all accounts, too, you know, she started the first grade at seven years old. And everything I've heard, Dale, she liked school and made pretty good grades. Yeah, really good grades. Yeah. Early, anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, probably she could also get away from the house. Yeah. Yeah, probably probably helped her to get away from the house. And there at home, Velma, she had chores she had to do. And, and some stuff was like washing and ironing clothes. At somewhere around the age of 11 to 12, she had to start cooking all the family meals. And her father would come and dismiss her from school early on some days when they had to do laundry. Well, it probably takes a while on a washboard, you know. If you don't have yeah. no electricity and no water. I don't, you know, I never heard how they were getting their water. If they were pumping it, or not pumping it, but drawing it out of a well. Yeah, Sending a bucket down to the bottom and pulling it up out of the ground. Mm. And washing mm. on a washboard. Yeah. Boiling water. and eh, That would suck. I mean, that would be all day long. That's a manual labor right there. She was but, brought up rough. Yeah, but so, every summer family would actually send her to a presbyterian bible school so i think that sort of kept her her faith in line a little bit you know even though she had a rough childhood i think that sort of helped her a little bit and we're going to talk about her faith a little bit later on too but i think that helped her deal right and i guess in the 30s i guess i mean it was probably a, a lot of families that was dealing with the same thing i mean not the abuse and stuff but as far as living in that type of house and doing that kind of chores and work so it wasn't just her but because this is like the late 30s 30 i don't know 35 36 37 mm-hmm. somewhere in there but so you know it wasn't just her but so i ain't saying that they're the only ones that had a rough life yeah i'm sure this is a pretty rural part of north carolina and i mean it, if, if you had a if you had an outhouse you were probably doing pretty well right by the age of 13 uh velma's father came home and surprised her with a pretty expensive ruffled gown and she reported later that this was probably one of the happiest days that she can remember he must have been doing pretty well our textile mill yeah because that's why they moved right because he got a better yeah. job at a textile mill in Fayetteville. yeah okay and at, at 13 <clears throat> that's when they moved to robinson county and 
she was 13 at the time, and she met a guy named Thomas Burke. They went to school together? Yep. And Velma also reported sometime in October of 1945, she stayed home from school one day because she was sick with the flu or something of that sort, and she reported that her father raped her. Mm. So, you know, I guess from receiving that pink ruffled gown, she had no kind of life at all. She had nothing. Velma, while she was in school, became pretty good at basketball. Yeah, surprisingly, even to her. Yeah. She was really good at it. And was actually picked to be on the school's basketball team. But get this deal, her parents wouldn't allow it. Right, except that her mom had just had twins or something, and it was just too much house chores, so she demanded she quit the team. Yeah. So another another blow. And she was – I think this was a devastation for her. It it, it angered her pretty bad. Oh, yeah. Nobody's taking up for her, and they don't let her do nothing except for make her work, do all the chores and mend the clothes and cook the meals and wash the clothes. Yeah, every day was the same thing for her. So she she was probably just dying to get out of there. Now, in 1948, at the age of 16, she begins attending a Baptist church, and she was baptized. She started to date Thomas Burke, the guy she met when she was 13. They met at 13, but her father waited till she was after 16 to at least allow them to see each other. Yeah, to right, actually go on a, a physical date, I guess. And in 1949, at the age of 17, Thomas Burke proposed to Velma at a local movie theater. Ooh. Yep. Big spender if he's taking her out to movies. Well, I think movies didn't cost money. Well, still. <laughs> you still, didn't have nothing. If you didn't have nothing, it still cost money. That nickel would be rough. It would be rough. At the age of 17, she runs away and gets married to Thomas in Dillon, South Carolina. And Dale, she only done this to get away from home. Right. And I can't blame her. Yeah. I mean, they allow that man. Yeah. You know. And in 19, also in 1949, her husband quits school and begins working in a textile mill in Red Springs. Now, Dale, by all accounts, Velma and uh, Thomas were a pretty happy couple. Yeah, very, very, very much so, I believe, because he didn't drink, and that was one thing that really attracted her to him, coming from the rough life she had known. You know, it was a whole different deal there. Mm-hmm. And, you um, October the 12th, 1951, at the age of 19, Velma gives birth to a son named Ronnie. And they moved back to Parkton, where she and Thomas would rent a house for 11 years. And on September the 3rd, 1953, at the age of 21, Velma gives birth to a daughter named Kim. And she begins to church pretty regularly with her children and even teaches a Sunday school class. Yes, yeah, so everything was going really well for him at this point. It seemed like they were doing pretty good. Now, in 1955, Velma was hit by a drunk driver. She was a pedestrian and was hit, struck by a drunk driver and was hospitalized. And during that time, she, was, she went through a, a pretty bad period of depression. That's mm. what I've heard and read. And in 1958, a few years later, at the age of 26, Velma began working in a textile mill in Rayford, causing her to see Thomas less often. And yeah, he's probably working different shifts. Yeah, so. and conflict in their hours, and they she never she didn't see him much. But I guess I, when you have to work, you have to work. Right. And in 1962, Velma was 30. She began hemorrhaging, so her doctor performed a hysterectomy. Right. And I, yeah, I think that was, you know, it wasn't planned. It was just, 
Yeah, it had to happen. Yeah, something something bad went wrong there. And Dale, because of her hysterectomy, she developed back pain, and this set a behavioral change in Velma and an eventual drug addiction. Now, we're going to skip just a little bit ahead. Her husband, Thomas, began to drink. That's not good. No. And Velma's complaints turned into bitter arguments. Right. I think he started drinking after he joined the JCs and probably was just drinking a beer in here and there with the, with the guys. But it, JCs, that's like a social uh, club or something. Social yeah. club. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like a civil organization, basically. Gotcha. Yeah. So he's probably just hanging out and just drinking, and then it probably just increased from there. Yeah, he just didn't know when to quit, I guess. Just because a little's good for you don't mean a whole lot is. Right, and I guess she was changing and he was changing, and then the, the two, the mix, it just, it's not going to be good. You got family life, you got kids, you got you got life. One's drinking and turning into an alcoholic, and the other one's on pills. It's yeah. going to be a bad mixture. Exactly. I hate to say it, but. On April the 4th, 1969, Thomas had passed out, and Velma and the children left the house. And returning to find, they actually returned to the home and found that it burnt, and Thomas was dead. Mm. And only a few months later, the home she was in burned once again. And at this time, she had a little bit of insurance money she got out of it. So she was, you know, she wasn't just destitute. Yeah, Thomas Burke. Yeah, he supposedly um, he dropped a cigarette while he was uh, passed out. And uh, dies of smoke inhalation. And then the nurses at uh, Parkton, North Carolina, gave her a shot to ease her grief. And, uh, you know, that ain't really helping the stuff either. No. So it's just going to escalate into trying to catch that. Yeah, because she was already on medications for a hysterectomy. Right. So, yeah, she was just she was getting a, a cocktail of stuff right then. Mm, it's bad. Yeah. Now, later that year, Dale, Velma was working at Belk, and a co-worker of hers introduces her to her brother Jennings Barfield and I don't know if he was older or what I don't know I don't have much information on him but he had some health issues anyway he had emphysema and diabetes she marries Barfield and also begins well she was his primary caretaker yeah he was a widower right yeah yeah in November of 1970 Velma was 39 years old and she overdoses on prescription medication and is hospitalized so I was telling you right there, she's uh, getting to plenty of pills. Yeah. And just a few months later, in February of 1971, Velma overdoses again on prescription medication and is hospitalized again for one week. Ooh. And Yeah, they said that she was uh, kind of doctor hopping, you know, going to here and there and getting more and more to, to sustain her addiction. Yeah, and getting multiple prescriptions from different doctors because you know everything wasn't linked up like it is today exactly and jennings discusses with his family his regret in marrying this prescription drug abuser Mm. so he he sees it yeah he knew what was coming now march the 22nd 1971 velma poisons jennings barfield with arsenic Mm. he had difficulty breathing and vomiting and diarrhea she meant only to make him sick, but he died in Cumberland County, which is, this is Fayetteville. This is her, her recollection that she only meant to make him sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she continues her prescription drug abuse. Mm. Yeah, overdosing again in uh, October of 1971. Yeah. So that's three times. Yeah. And this was a near fatal overdose. And once again, due to prescription medication. 
She was in the hospital for three weeks this time. Three weeks. Wow. And on December of 1971, she is fired from Belk and actually loses the house that Thomas built for her because she doesn't pay her mortgage. Right. Well, if you're in the hospital for three weeks, you ain't paying much. You ain't drawing any money at all. And she moves in with her parents. Now, we're going to skip ahead a little bit, another year. On uh, April 1972, Velma's father dies of lung cancer. And a year later, Velma moves into her mother's home. And later that year in 1973, Velma overdoses again on prescription medication and is hospitalized for two weeks. So she's she's making a constant habit of taking way too much. Taking way too much medication. And hadn't yeah. got any, anybody helped at all. Without trying to get her off of them, I guess. Yep. Now, in October of 1974, Velma takes out a $1,000 loan in her mother's name by using... Using the home as collateral. Yep. And then forging her signature. Forged her signature. And, yeah, so she's... I guess she's just doing this to... She's got to get money somewhere. Yeah, and to, to fund her drug habit. Right, because in uh, November of the next month, she actually took out another loan for $1,000. In her mother's name. Right. Yep, and just a month later in December, Velma writes bad, actually writes five bad checks on a closed-out account of Jennings Barfield. So she's got it bad at this point. Yeah, she just—I mean, it, this is nineteen early seventies, and that's a couple thousand dollars in just a few months that she's—I'm assuming spending on pills. Yeah, yeah, she's got a bad addiction. That same month, a week after the overdue notices arrived, Dale, Velma purchases a bottle of poison in St. Paul, North Carolina. She gives a dose to her mother, who then begins complaining of vomiting, cramping, and diarrhea. Velma phones the doctor, who calls in a prescription. Really? By night, Lily, Velma's mother, cannot hold herself up. Velma phones the doctor again, and her brother calls the rescue squad. And Velma even rides to the hospital in the ambulance. And her mother is admitted to the hospital. Lily Bullard was declared dead in Fayetteville, North Carolina Hospital. Doctors claimed the cause of death was a heart attack. So this is two people, right? Yeah. She's killed basically to hide her tracks. Yeah, she's, like Dale said, she's just hiding, covering her tracks to fuel her drug addiction. One of them being her mom. Yeah, that's, that's bad. At that time in January of 1974, reminds you, Velma is 42 at the time, she moves in with her daughter, Kim, and son-in-law, Dennis, in their mobile home. A month later, deputies from the sheriff's department warn Velma to pay back the bounce checks. And since she can't repay them, she goes to her son's house and overdoses on prescription drugs and attempts suicide. Yeah, so this time it was on purpose. Yeah. This is like number five, six. <laughs> so yeah, I've lost, count. <laughs> I've lost count of the number of overdoses. And Dale, she's not successful with her suicide him and breaks her collarbone causing a three-week hospitalization good lord so i'm sure she's getting some kind of painkillers in the hospital so it's not reported but i'm sure she's getting something for her pain right and the uh, the police inform velma that she'll be arrested as soon as she gets out of the hospital (laughs) yeah this was in march of 74 so we're talking about july right now of 74 velma steals a check from her son-in-law and forges it to purchase prescription medication. Velma is arrested and placed in the jail. She overdoses and rushes to a nearby hospital where they, they pump her stomach. 
This goes to court the next day when pleads guilty and receives six month sentence in the correctional center in Raleigh. But she only has to serve four months uh, because of good good behavior, and this is for all those uh, bad checks. Yeah. After her mom had passed away, she did agree to an autopsy of her mom, but the re- results came back with no indication of poisoning. So she she got away with that one. Absolutely. Somehow. Yeah. I guess because they were looking for a heart attack. Because mm-hmm. that's what the doctor said. I don't know. They, they had capability of testing stuff like that in 1974, I'm sure. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I'll tell you what. She's uh, getting away with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people don't overdose seven times and not kill herself. <laughs> yeah. And in July of 1974, Velma steals a check from her son-in-law and forges it to purchase more prescription medication now dale at this time kim her daughter is pretty much fed up and she calls velma's doctors pleading them to stop prescribing medication for velma now a year later in november of 1975 velma was hired as a living caretaker for 93 year old montgomery edwards because his 83 year old wife dolly was too feeble he was blind and an invalid. And they agreed to pay Velma $75 a week, which included room and board. And Velma resented Dolly's critical nature and began to hate her. But that, did, uh, that didn't take long. Did it? No, I mean, but I mean, she's making $75 a week and getting room and board. That's in 75. That's pretty good. That's pretty good money. I would think Velma met Dolly's alcoholic nephew, Stuart Taylor at the Edwards home in Lumberton, North Carolina. And but at this time, him and his wife were planning to divorce. Montgomery Edwards, which was Dolly's husband, dies in Lumberton, North Carolina. And Velma purchases poison and poisoned Dolly. So the so the guy she was doing the caretaking for, he passes away, right? Yeah. And then Velma kills his wife. Yep, she kills Dolly. I guess you now she said she hated her, resents her. I guess because she was too critical. I guess. I don't know. She was working for him and making money. Living in her house for free. Yeah. And she wasn't getting anything out of him substantially to, to fund her drugs like she was. Right. The thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars she was forging checks from. So I don't know. I don't know why she would poison Dolly. You know, I don't know. That, that baffles me, Dale. Hmm. Now, on April of 1977, Velma was hired as a living caretaker for John Henry Lee and Record Lee. And she would be paid $50 a week. So she got a, demo, a demotion in uh, pay. Well, I guess they didn't look at a resume. I guess not. <laughs> but she was making $50 a week for them. And Velma forges one of John Henry Lee's checks for $50. And she poisons him to prevent him from finding out what she had done. Again. Yeah. And he experienced prolonged pain and dies in Lumberton, North Carolina. This was in 1977. And the medical report comes out on this as a heart attack. Yeah. So pretty much if you died in this time period, <laughs> this, this time period you, you had a heart attack. Exactly. And Velmer quits her job as a caretaker for Record Lee and moves back to Lumberton, where she would rent a trailer and work as a nurse's aide at a local nursing home. And... She begins a relationship with Stuart Taylor. Now, this is the guy that she had met before and was getting ready to divorce his wife. Is yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah. 
and she moves her belongings into Stuart's home, and he finds some letters that were sent to her while she was in prison when she was when she was arrested on the, uh, the bad checks. The bad checks, yeah. And he was he was furious. Yeah, he flipped out. Yeah, he didn't know she had been to prison. He yeah, she, she, she never told him. She hadn't told him she hadn't been in prison. And Velma steals one of Stuart's checks and forges his name. Lord. Yeah. Now, in December of 1977, Velma goes, well, Velma undergoes breast surgery to move a portion of her left breast. And, but it wasn't, it wasn't cancer or anything. I don't know why she had to do it. I don't know if she just had a lump or something and they, they remove it. I don't know. But she steals another check from Stewart and forges it. And that same month of December 1977, Velma buys a bottle of poison and she plans to poison Stuart to prevent him from finding out what she had done. So this is pretty much her gimmick, isn't it? Yeah, she's just poisoning and then covering her tracks. Stealing checks and forging checks, buying pills and buying poison and moving to the next one. Yep. Hmm. And still that same month of December 1977, Velma and Stuart attend a Rex Hubbard gospel meeting. And during that meeting, Stuart got sick. And when they return home, Velma phones Stuart's stepmother and daughter to inform them of you know his sickness. And after three days of pain and suffering, Velma calls the rescue squad and yeah. follows them to the hospital. Yeah, I'd read to where they went to the meeting and everything was going good. And he just started not feeling well, wanting to go to the car. And he went to the car, sat there a while. And when she got out there to drive her home, he even had to pull over. He'd got sick to the stomach a couple of times, didn't know what was going on, but it turned out she had poisoned him. Yep. And Stuart Taylor was pronounced dead in Lumberton, North Carolina. This was in February of 78. And again, she agrees with the doctor's suggestion of performing an autopsy. Yeah. This time it turns out a little different. Yeah. Stuart Taylor's autopsy reveals that the cause of death was arsenic poisoning. So this got the authorities a little suspicious. And Yeah, I guess since she got away with it once, she figured it wouldn't show up again. Yeah, so... They got to investigating all the folks that Velma had been a caretaker for. They had mysteriously passed away. Yeah. And find out they found out why they had died, and it was a lot of the same symptoms, Dale. Exactly. Let's see. On March the 13th, 1978, Velma offers a confession without the presence of an attorney and is brought to the female section of the jail. And her attorney fills one of her prescriptions and brings her additional anti-depression drugs at her request while she's in jail, Dale. Good Lord. And two hours later, the bailiff brought her more prescribed medication. So she's you know, she's getting it while she's in jail. Yeah, everybody's just handing it to her. Yeah. And two days later, on March the 15th of 78, Velma is sent to Dorothea Dick State Hospital in Raleigh for psychiatric evaluation. And this was determined her mental competency to stand trial. Right. And yeah, they keep her there for five weeks, probably to dry her out, I guess. Yeah. And she goes back to the Lumberton jail where she experiences depression and often thinks about suicide. Now, in July of 1978, while Velma was in prison, she hears a program by evangelist J.K. Kendall and accepted forgiveness and found God. That happens a lot. Yeah. And in... November 23rd, 1978, Velma's trial begins in Elizabethtown, North Carolina, where she is charged with first-degree murder of Stuart Taylor. She never confessed to poisoning Jennings, but did confess to poisoning her mother, 
Dolly Edwards, and John Henry Lee. Now, Dale, the jury reached a verdict of murder on the first degree and recommended the death penalty. And Velma is taken to the Correctional Center for Women in Raleigh and placed on death row. Velma was imprisoned at Central Prison in Raleigh, North Carolina, in an area for escape-prone prisoners and mentally ill prisoners, as there were no designated area for women with the death penalty. At this time, there was no place for them to put them. And a death row unit for female inmates in North Carolina was later established at the North Carolina Correctional Institute for Women. Now, during her stay on death row, Velma became a devout Christian. Her last years were spent ministering to prisoners, for which she actually received a praise from Billy Graham. It's pretty cool. Yeah. A second basis for the appeal was a testimony of Dorothy Otno Lewis, who was a professor of psychiatry at New York School of Medicine and an authority on violent behavior who claimed that Barfield suffered from a dislocative identity disorder. And Lewis testified that she had spoken to Velma's other personality, Billy, who told her that Velma had been a victim of sexual abuse and that he, Billy, had killed her abusers. Hmm. So I guess they were trying to say that she had some kind of yeah, yeah. double identity. Right. The judge was unconvinced. And one of them did it, and Lewis quoted him saying, "I don't care which one." Right. So yeah. So basically, well, you can say what you want to, but you did it. Don't matter which identity yeah. was. You still did it. They're, they're still dead. Yep. And after Velma's appeal was denied in federal court, she instructed her attorneys to abandon further appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. And Velma was executed on November the second, nineteen eighty-four, at Central Prison. Uh, she released a statement before the execution. I know that everybody has gone through a lot of pain, all the families connected, and I am sorry. And I want to thank everyone who has been supporting me all these six years. And Velma chose as her last meal one bag of Cheetos and two eight-ounce glasses or glass bottles of Coca-Cola. Yeah, that's the best ones. Velma was buried in a small rural North Carolina cemetery with her first husband, Thomas Burke. Now, just a little side note here, Dale. Velma's execution raised a lot of political controversies with uh, who was the governor of North Carolina, Governor Jim Hunt, who was actually challenging incumbent Jesse Helms for the U.S. Senate. And he rejected Velma's request for clemency, and Hunt lost the election for Senate. Mm-hmm. So really, all in all, I don't think Velma was that, I don't want to say not a bad person, but... It's not like she was a deranged serial killer just going around killing for the hell of it. She was she was doing it to fuel her addiction to drugs. Yeah, she had a shit childhood, to put it bluntly. Um, and then she kind of got out of that, and she got straightened out, and then started going downhill. And then when she got on, she got on those pills and got an addiction. It was basically she was basically covering her tracks. Yeah, but I mean, she she was convicted of murder and, and oh yeah. And had to pay for it. Right. But once she got straightened up, she seemed to be like a whole different person, you know. But you'd think if, you know, during that time, if she would have gotten some help for her drug addiction. And, you know, Kim, her daughter, you know, told her doctors not to. She tried. Yeah. But hell, he was even bringing them to her in prison at the end. Yeah. All right, Dale. You got any last words for this episode? Yeah, no, I don't guess so. Just basically, uh. 
keep an eye on, on everybody around you. If anybody needs help, anybody who seems to be reaching out for something, please help them if you can. You can see that, uh, you know, decent people go way, way bad when stuff gets crazy. Yep. Yeah, just uh, watch out for your loved ones. There you go. That's it. We'll see it. All right, Dale, we want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is The The Crack Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles. Someone had to know Falling down Velma Falling down Cause every man you've been with Well the one by one they go
Tar. We'll see you next week. <laughs>